We're going to continue speaking about Yoga Maya, and we're going to um, begin with Kirtan while we're waiting for all the great souls to join us. Big harmonium, isn't it? Krishna, 
Krishna, Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Jai Gopemanandi Hare Hare Go. Hi go premanandi hari hari bo Hari hari bo hari hari bo Srila Prabhupada ki jai Namo Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Shamiti Namine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachadine Nivise Sasunyavari Paschatyadasatarine so I'm just going to bring up the document and then we will continue from where we left off. Welcome back, it says. Um, so Welcome to all of you. So, we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam 10 to 9. O auspicious, excuse me, O all auspicious Yoga Maya. I shall then appear with my full six opulences as the son of Devaki, and you will appear as the daughter of Jashoda, the queen of Maharaj Nanda. So this is Krishna speaking to Yogamaya, telling her to transfer Balaram from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini, and telling her, you will take birth as the son of Jashoda, excuse me, the daughter of Jashoda. Purport. The word Angsa Bhagena is important in this verse. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Atava Bahunaitena King Gyaktena Tavarjuna Vishtabhyaham Idam Kritsnam Ekapsena Stito Jagat. But what need is there, Arjuna, for all this detailed knowledge? With a single fragment of myself, I pervade and support this entire universe. It's interesting to read Bhagavad Gita and imagine. How did how does Krishna speak? What does his voice sound like? 
the voice of what does the voice of God sound like? Then we imagine it sounds something dramatic. But what need is there, Arjuna, for all this detailed knowledge? With a single fragment of myself, I pervade and support this entire universe. Probably not like that. Plus, it's in Sanskrit. And I don't think Sanskrit is sung dramatically like that. Or it's not spoken. So, But however Krishna's voice sounds, it's amazing. That you can understand. Everything is situated as a part of the Supreme Lord's potency. In regard to Lord Krishna's appearance in the womb of Devaki, Brahma played a part also because on the bank of the milk ocean he requested the Supreme Personality of Godhead to appear. A part was also played by Baladev, the first expansion of Godhead. Similarly, Yoga Maya, who appeared as the daughter of Mother Jasoda, also played a part. Thus, Jiva Tattva, Vishnu Tattva, and Shakti Tattva are all integrated with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And when Krishna appears, he appears with all his integrated integrated parts, as explained in the previous verses. Yoga Maya was requested to attract Sankarshan Baladev from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini, and this was also a very heavy task for her. Yoga Maya naturally could not see how it was possible for her to attract Sankarshan. So, in other words, when she was give us, given this instruction, she was thinking, okay, this is, you know, interesting instruction. Take take someone out of the womb. <laughs> Here's your service today, Prabhu. There's an embryo in this womb. We want you to take it out and put it in another room, another womb, another room, another womb also. Yeah. Okay, how do we do that? You figure it out. So, Yogamaya was thinking like that. This is interesting. I'm not sure I know how to do this. Hmm. So we'll read that again. <clears throat> Yogamaya was requested to attract Sankarshan Baladev from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini. And this was a very he- heavy task for her. Yogamaya naturally could not see how it was possible for her to attract Sankarshan, therefore Krishna addressed her as Shubhe, auspicious, and said, quote, Be blessed, take power from me, and you will be able to do it. By the grace of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, anyone can do anything, but don't jump off a big building to test it, at least not yet, till you have more faith. For the Lord is present in everything, all things being his parts and parcels, anksha bhagina, and increasing or decreasing by his supreme will. Well, <clears throat> I think we we qualify this anything, you know, say, well, Prabhupada said a devotee can do anything. I'm trying, I've been trying all day to jump to the moon. It's not working. Prabhu, you need more faith. If you just had more faith, <laughs> You'd be off. It, maybe that's true also. But specifically, what we're talking about here is things that you're being asked to do. Not just like, oh, let's jump to the moon type thing, or, you know. Prabhupada said I could do anything, so I'm going you know, to meditate on 
trees growing money, you know, that's not what he means. He means that if the instruction of the of if your guru or Prabhupada or Krishna comes to you, which of course is probably not going to happen directly, or Krishna maybe you could say reveals to us, if there's an instruction that Krishna wants, Prabhupada wants, your guru wants, then that instruction has power in it. So then then you're connecting with that power by the mercy of the previous acharyas. Then there's, you know, it's, there's no, we don't want to put limitation on what can be done. Right? So I think this is always important to remember. And we read this purport before. And I remember making this point and I'm making it again because it's an important point. So there's something set in motion, you become part of that. It's like you get on the conveyor belt. And so you're now being empowered because of your willingness. So that's what Prabhupada is meaning here. Like She's been given the order, so now that you have the order, that order in itself is the empowerment. So the point of today's class is don't try to jump to the moon unless you're ordered. And then you might say, well, you know, there's so many services we do, I'm not ordered. But within the larger framework of the desires of Srila Prabhupada, when his basic desire is to help people become Krishna conscious, then there's so many things we may develop on our own. It's not my, you know, I'm preaching in a certain way. He said, well, where did Prabhupada tell you to preach that way? Well, he told us to make people Krishna conscious. And so we then we use our intelligence. So still the empowerment is there. At least... This helps us overcome fear that we may not succeed, but it's Prabhupada's desire that we succeed. And because of his desire, we can we connect with that desire and that, that becomes our success. So many, many wonderful things can happen in spite of us. We often say, Well, it happened in spite of me. That's true. That's how we see it, you know, by I didn't um <clears throat> Just, you know, don't get in the way. Sometimes we say that. Well, I'm not empowered. Well, don't worry. This is something Krishna wants. Just don't get in the way. You know, don't mess it up. Just like go along with the program. At least do that much. So sometimes that's all that's required is you just make a feeble attempt as best you can to execute an instruction and just as long as you try to execute it and are willing to execute it, then it will be executed not by you, but by higher authority or higher power. That's the idea. Hmm. By the grace of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, anyone can do anything. For the Lord is present in everything, all things being his parts and parcels, anksha bhagena, and increasing or decreasing by his supreme will. <clears throat> Balaram was only 15 days older than Krishna. By the blessings of Krishna, Yogamaya became the daughter of Mother Jasoda. But by the supreme will, she was not able to enjoy the parental love of her father and mother. Krishna, however, although not actually born from the womb of Jasoda, well, that's not entirely true, 
enjoyed the for, for the sake of this discussion. It looks like he appeared from Devaki, so Prabhupada's going that way. But later he says, actually, simultaneously, he was born in both places. Although not actually born from the womb of Mother Jasoda, enjoyed the parental love of Mother Jasoda. 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 And if you're from Bengal, it's Jasoda. And if your Sanskrit is proper, it's Jasoda. Krishna enjoyed the parental love of Mother Yashoda and Nanda. By the blessings of Krishna, Yoga Maya was able to achieve the reputation of being the daughter of Mother Yashoda, who also became famous by the blessings of Krishna. Yashoda means one who gives fame. And we see here so many divine arrangements, but in this world, so many arrangements are out of our control. Karmically, things happen. So, similar. Similarly, um, so many things happen, good or bad, beyond our control. So now we go to the next verse, ten two fourteen. Thus instructed by the supreme personality of God, Yoga Maya immediately agreed. With the Vedic mantra Om, she confirmed that she would do what he asked. Thus, having accepted the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, she circumambulated him and started for the place on earth known as Nanda Gokul. There she did everything just as she had been told. Purport, after receiving the orders of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Yogamaya twice confirmed her acceptance by saying, Yes, sir, I shall do as you order. <clears throat> and then saying, Om. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments that Om signifies Vedic confirmation. Thus, Yoga Maya very faithfully received the Lord's order as a Vedic injunction. It is a fact that whatever is spoken by the Supreme Personality of Godhead is a Vedic injunction and that no one should neglect. That no one should neglect. In other words, obviously, if Krishna is telling you to do something, you're going to take it seriously. Although, maybe we don't take seriously everything Krishna says in Scripture. But the Prabhupada is making the point here, Krishna is speaking to her, so... Obviously... Whatever Krishna speaks is perfect and to be taken as Shastra, of course. So she said, okay, you've spoken it, I do it. Whatever spoken by the Supreme Personality of Godhead is a Vedic injunction that no one should neglect. In, in Vedic injunctions, there are no mistakes, illusions, cheating, or imperfection. Unless one understands the authority of the Vedic version, there is no purpose in quoting Shastra. No one should violate the Vedic injunctions. Rather, one should strictly execute the orders given in the Vedas, as stated in the Gita, Tasmat Shastram Pramanam Te, Karya Karya Vibhashtito, Getva Shastram Vidanoktam, Karma kartam ihara si. 
One should understand what is duty and what is not duty by the regulations of the scriptures. Knowing such rules and regulations, one should act so that one may be gradually elevated, which is basically another way of saying <clears throat> don't act on your own, don't act outside the injunction of Shastra unless you're self-realized because you'll do the wrong thing. We're very good at doing the wrong thing. And when you have so much practice at doing the wrong thing, you want to follow authorities, which is true even materially. You know, if you're not really accomplished at something, just follow the system that's taught to you. So, and it's interesting. You know, Yoga Maya has so much power, but she is a devotee and submissive to Krishna. Mm. Now, another interesting thing that comes up here, although I don't think it was Prabhupada's intention, but I had read something this morning that sparked this thought. Mm. Prabhupada says, unless one understands the authority of the Vedic version, there's no purpose in quoting the Shastra. So I was reading this morning about several events that took place during the time of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. And it, I think it's, it's, it's very helpful to understand the history of the development of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It gives more perspective. It gives more appreciation. And this particular story really gives perspective on the op opposition the Srila Bhakti Siddhanta and the opposition was coming from the caste Goswamis called Jati Goshai and the Brahmins. And as you know, you've heard, they were claiming that only those born in the family of Brahmins can be Brahmins and no one else. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta was vehemently opposed to that idea because it's not based on Shastra. And there were several opportunities he had to expose these misconceptions. And he did it well, and they didn't like it because they couldn't defeat him. And as a result, mm -hmm. they actually wanted to kill him because he was ruining their party of we're Brahmins, and you have to be, you know, it was a monopoly, you know, so who wants their monopoly broken? We have a monopoly of Brahmins, and now you're saying anybody can be a Brahmin? And we're saying, no, you have to be born in a Brahmin family. That keeps the numbers down. That keeps the monopoly going. And he said, no, this is not right. He said, there's no pure lineage because people don't follow Shastra perfectly. So the Garbhadam Samskar is not perfectly followed, so you're not having this pure lineage of Brahmins being born Brahmins. I said, it's, it's Kali Yuga, it doesn't work. And then they opposed him at another later meeting. They said, Lord Chaitanya is not God. He's a devotee of God. So then he had to refute that. And to make matters more complicated and interesting and bewildering also, As you probably heard, there was a meeting once 
to deal with this issue because the Casco Swamis were passing out pamphlets saying, you know, only those born in Brahmin family are Brahmins. They're making this propaganda. So Bhakti Siddhanta was fighting it. And he was the head speaker. And um, they wanted to get rid of him. They actually wanted to kill him. Because he was, he, I read this morning, when he was in Puri, he would just go up to people and tell them, say, excuse me, sir, these Casco Swamis are wrong. They're bogus. But, but the point I was, you know, he was out there very strongly, very outspoken. But the point I wanted to make, which, which is really interesting, and I don't want to comment on it, and I just want to throw it out just so you just get a, a sense of the difficulty in spreading Krishna consciousness. <clears throat> so the Vaishnavas were gathering together and they said, we need to counter this propaganda. So they held a meeting and it was just to discuss how to counter the propaganda and you know solidify their conclusions and their Shastric evidence. But these caste Brahmins got wind of it and they came. And so, um, you know, there became a big thing. You know, there's going to be a big discussion. And you may remember the story that Bhaktivinoda said, I'm indisposed, I can't go. And so Bhaktisiddhanta said, I will go. Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Diksha Guru was a Casco Swami. This is interesting, right? So some say Bhaktivinoda Thakur did not go and speak because if he did, he would be speaking against Casco Swamiism. And his guru was there at that event in the audience representing the opposing side. You know, sometimes we talk about <clears throat> these, you know, these difficult situations. You, know, you have your guru, but Sometimes he says something you don't agree with. <clears throat> you agree with another guru. and So here we have an actual example that the person who initiated Bhaktivinoda Thakur is opposing what his son is going to be preaching and his son is going to be preaching against what his guru stands for. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, we may think ISKCON is awkward and, you know, with multiple gurus and, and uh, sometimes contradictory ideas, um, or if, you know, the guru, maybe he's not following exactly, and here Bhaktivinoda Thakur had a guru who was a Kasko Swami, who Bhaktisiddhanta was speaking against at this assembly. <clears throat> That's pretty interesting. And then, to make matters worse, or additional matters, just to show you how this, you know, it's, it's not just a problem in ISKCON. As I understand... Bhaktivinoda Thakur was preaching, but people are saying, well, he's not really a Vaishnava because he just, he's not initiated. So he thought, okay, I have to get initiated. Who would he get initiated by? Either he needed to get initiated by Kasko Swami for people to respect him, or, or that was the only person who could initiate him. That was the only Vaishnava. And, and so Srila Bhakti Siddhanta did not like his spiritual master because he was a Kasko Swami. This was kind of an awkward situation for Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And one time, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was with Bhakti Siddhanta and he paid obeisances to Bipin Bihari. Bhaktivinoda Thakur paid obeisances, that's his guru. And Bipin Bihari 
put his feet on Bhakti Thakur's head. And Bhakti Siddhanta became so upset. He said, do you realize who Bhakti Thakur is and you put your feet on his head? Do you understand? He was so upset at him. So, you know, difficulties around guru-disciples are not unique. This was an awkward situation, wasn't it? Anyway, so I was... I was looking at this, unless one understands the authority of the Vedic version, and then when I was reading that, I was thinking how you have so many pundits, learned people, and they have complete opposite ideas. Either because they're prejudiced, or they lack knowledge, or they've been improperly trained. And so they grow up with improper training. You're a Brahmin by birth, that's it. That's what they believe. That's what people think. So the authority of the Vedas comes through disciplic succession. It can't stand on its own because then it's subject to all this interpretation. And we're looking at this and we're thinking, it's so obvious it's there. Well, it's obvious to us because we heard from Prabhupada. The, the Siddhanta is obvious to us. Why isn't it obvious to others? So unless it's coming through a bona fide disciple succession, it may not be obvious. And so you have the Vedas, but you don't have access to them. So Prabhupada's saying we should follow the Vedas and Vedic injunctions, but you can't follow them without a guru, bona fide guru. You just, I just want to give you a little insight into the personality of, as a side point, as a little side dish, a little pakora on the side maybe. He would be invited <clears throat> to speak at different assemblies and um, another assembly of these caste Brahmins, but they wouldn't let him speak more than five minutes. And after a few days, he left. After four days, he left. And those four days, he didn't eat. And they said, why didn't you eat? The king, he actually left. It was in a, a king's palace where this this debate was going on or this, this, I don't know what you would call it, festival. If they were afraid of him, they didn't want him to speak because he would undermine their whole Brahminical caste idea. So they limited him. They had to stop him from speaking. But he would speak, not, at, you know, not on stage, but he would speak to different people. So he was having some influence. And after four days he left, he didn't tell the king. So the king felt so bad. You know, you have a guest that's just leaving. He thought, I must have offended him. So he found him at the train station. He said, why didn't you leave? He said, I didn't have the opportunity to give you Krishna consciousness. No, he said, why didn't you? No, he said, why didn't you eat? And they were giving him all kinds of opulent food. He wouldn't eat it. He said, why didn't you eat? And he said, because... I couldn't give you anything, so I don't want to take anything from you. I couldn't give you Bhagavatam. There was no opportunity to speak, so I don't want to take your food because I couldn't give you. That was one reason. And the other reason, he said, because I <clears throat> will have to take food with all these caste Brahmins, I'll get polluted. And the third reason, he said, your Brahmins are bogus, it's not prasadam. So, he was... You know, we say lion-like guru. He was his his aim in life was to establish the siddhanta, 
the truth. And where he saw untruth, he became like a lion. Yeah. I want to tell you one other story. Because I know some of you uh, would like to get up earlier or maybe like to eat less. So there was a devotee. He wasn't a devotee at the time, but when Bhaktisiddhanta went to this program, this four-day, five-day program in the palace of the king, this there was a young man who was a student that saw him there and said that he was eating rice once a day. He was sleeping on the floor. Well, he actually said, I never saw him sleep. I don't know if he slept. But there was no bed. So if he did sleep, it was on the floor. So I was reading that and I was thinking, you know, we, we're very attached to eating. We're very attached to sleeping. But by hearing about these sadhus, it puts things in perspective, you know, I think. Oh, I can't get up early. I need my seven hours, my eight hours, my nine hours, my 14 hours. And here Bhakti Siddhanta is like, you know, when he, at least we know when he did his 192 rounds for nine years and four months, 192 rounds every day. That didn't leave much time for sleeping. And then I found out that while he was doing the 192 rounds, he was managing the yoga peat he was instructing people. He was giving lectures. Like, how much time? He must have chanted quite quickly. But even if he chanted quickly, you know, how quickly can you chant 192 rounds? That's six, 16 rounds times 16, right? So, you know, something like that. So where did he find time to sleep? And... Those who tell the story said he slept on an earthen floor with no pillow, no blanket, no mat. And he was just chanting how... So, we, you know, when we hear these things, it's I think it's an inspiration. Like, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. I can't get up early. And he's like chanting, you know, all day. And then, you know, a few moments laid down on the ground. Okay, we can't imitate it, but certainly it puts our position into relative perspective of how much comfort we need and how how we don't like austerity and so if we if we get a little taste for austerity that will be good for us if we get a little taste for sacrifice doing what's helpful for our bhakti in spite of having to give up uh, some comforts that's good for us and so he sets that example can't imitate it, of course, but we can take some inspiration from it. Okay, so now I'm going to go back and see. I haven't, you know, when I... The only problem of me speaking on my computer is that I don't see your comments while I'm reading, whereas when I was on my phone, I had my computer, and I could see your comments also. So I, I'm just going back to see if there's any discussion on what we're reading. Hmm. Hmm. Kundamanava got his answer. 
Balaram's 15 days older than Krishna. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, he appeared first and he cleaned out the room. 16 times 12, okay. 12 times 16. If each set of 16 takes 2 hours, 109 rounds is 24 hours. He must have been chanting quickly, indeed. Yeah, so let's say um, hour and a half per 16 times 12, that will give you, yeah. So if he does an hour and a half, then you have like 18 hours. Then you'd have a little extra time, right? 16 times 12. So hour and a half, then anyway, he's you know chanting 192 rounds and he's doing all this other seva. That's amazing. And so, you know, then you think, well, how can, how, you know, there's a, there's a book out all about sleep and how you have to sleep eight hours, and if you don't sleep eight hours, your whole body will fall apart. And how was he doing this? There's, you know, there's another dimension to life, the mental dimension, which is 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 very much overlooked by modern medical science. Not overlooked completely, but overlooked a lot. It's not part of the education, as far as I am, medical education of the mind-body relationship. But you see in the lives of great acharyas because of their absorption in Krishna consciousness, they're getting they're getting energy from a different plane and it's not coming from the food they're eating and it's not coming from their sleep. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and we all know when we're inspired, we can sleep less. So sleep is it's not entirely a physical function because the mind and body are connected. So health is not entirely a physical function. Most diseases are probably said most diseases are generated by the mind, basically from anxiety. So um, <laughs> Okay, let's see what Rishma says, she says, we try to sit down for mantra meditation about 3.45 a.m. Good. I do feel that by 2 p.m. at work, I feel a little tired, but feel happy, contented during the day. 10 till 2 a.m. is perfect time to sleep. 10 a.m., 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah, if you can do it. That's only four hours. Um, I have the same problem, Rishma. I I get tired in the day also. But the difference is I'm my own boss. So anyway, that's a devotee disease, you know, falling asleep at any time, any place um, because they're trying to reduce their sleep and they're not yet able to always do it well. <clears throat> So Mukundamala says, it could be possible. I hear Haridas Thakur chant three ways, silently murmuring and loudly. Yeah. Those are the, those are the three ways of chanting. <clears throat> Although Prabhupada said silently is for more advanced devotees. But he wanted other living entities to hear, so he did 64 rounds loudly so they could hear. 
that murmuring is the standard way, and that's what japa means, it means to murmur, and then um, silently, Prabhupada said, it's for more advanced devotees. Or it's for more advanced devotees or for very sick devotees who have absolutely no energy so they can hardly say the Ma Mantra, so they'll just chant in their mind. Or very sleepy devotees who don't have a lot of energy. But generally, generally, it's, uh, Prabhupada said it's, uh, it's reserved for more advanced devotees. Okay, so we're going to continue reading. This is from 10 to 15. When the child of Devaki was attracted and transferred into the womb of Rohini by Yogamaya, this is Balaram, Devaki seemed to have a miscarriage. Thus all the inhabitants of the palace loudly lamented, Alas, Devaki has lost her child. In other words, she was pregnant and then the embryo was moved to Rohini, so it looked like. She had a miscarriage, which I guess it's a transcendental miscarriage, but not really in the true sense of miscarriage. <clears throat> Purport, all the inhabitants of the palace includes Kamsa. When everyone lamented, Kamsa joined in compassion, thinking that perhaps because of drugs or some other external means, Devaki had undergone this abortion. The real story of what happened after Yogamaya attracted the child of Devaki into the room, womb of Rohini in the seventh month of Rohini's pregnancy is described as follows in the Hari Bangsa. At midnight, while Rohini was deeply sleeping, she experienced as if in a dream that she had undergone a miscarriage. After some time, when she awoke, she saw that this had indeed happened. And she was in great anxiety, but Yogamaya then informed her, O oh, auspicious lady, your child is now being replaced. I am attracting a child from the womb of Devaki. And therefore, your child will be known as Sankarsha. Hmm. So Rohini had a miscarriage. <clears throat> in order, order, uh, I wasn't familiar with that in order to make room for Balaram. So we continue reading. This is from the third chapter, 48 and 49, from 10th Canto. Thereafter, exactly when Vasudeva, being inspired by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, was about to take the newborn child from the delivery room, Yogamaya, the Lord's spiritual energy, took birth as the daughter of the wife of Maharaj Nanda. Hmm. Hmm. So Yogamaya takes birth from Jasoda. <clears throat> Purport, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur discusses that Krishna appeared simultaneously as the son of Devaki and as the son of Jasoda. So that's what I was referring to before. Along with the spiritual energy, Yogamaya. As the son of Devaki, he first appeared as Vishnu. And because Vasudeva was not in the position of pure affection for Krishna, Vasudeva worshipped his son as Lord Vishnu. Jasoda, however, pleased her son Krishna without understanding his godhood. This is the difference between Krishna as the son of Jasoda and as the son of Devaki. This is explained by Bishwanath Chakravarti Thakur on the authority of Hari Bhanksha. 
So this is just a side point of the different levels of love. And so Vasudeva and Devaki understood Krishna as Vishnu. He appeared as Vishnu. And then they said, it's better you don't appear this way and we want to keep you incognito. So just assume the form of a baby because you'll be quite a target. Of course, target for Kanksa. And they were thinking Kanksa could actually kill Vishnu. That's interesting. <clears throat> but they don't look like this. You stand out in the crowd. So just be a normal baby. And maybe Kamsa like, won't really worry about you. But with Jasoda, it was different. She never understood Krishna's position. <clears throat> and Jasoda's love is considered much higher because of that. So, sometimes, sometimes to understand what love of Krishna is, it's easier to just understand it through the different levels of devotees. And as they exhibit their devotion, we understand different levels. So here's just a comparative analysis between Devaki and Jasoda. Devaki had some affection like Jasoda, but also she understood Krishna's position as Vishnu. So that affection was greatly reduced or overcome by the on-reverence of Krishna's position. And although we worship Krishna with on-reverence, the ultimate goal is to achieve spontaneous devotion in one of the four rasas. And then that worship and on reverence will be overcome by affection. And that's what Krishna likes much more. And, you know, I mean, look at your own life. Imagine you come home today and everyone in your family is fanning you and paying obeisance and saying, Oh, my Lord, you are the greatest, you are the most opulent. You, know? you would say, What are you doing? You know, don't do that. You know, just give me a hug. So, as we often say, if it's true for us, where did we get that? Nature. Well, it must be true for Krishna because we have it. Either in a pure or impure way, we have Krishna's nature. So, just as we may like to be worshipped, but not by our friends, not by our mother and father and husband and wife, Krishna's the same. So, therefore, the devotees who just love Krishna without understanding his godhood are more dear to Krishna because Krishna is attracted by love, just as we are. And you can be honored, but honored, being honored is just really, at least for us, it's just, it's just a form of material gratification. But love is different. And that's why Krishna appreciates the devotees who don't know that he's God. He doesn't want them to know that he's God. That would be the worst thing that could ever happen that they found out. He doesn't want them to know. Of course, the way Yoga Maya Potency works is that 
Even if they find out, it doesn't matter because they don't care. They just love him. He doesn't have he doesn't have to be God for them to love him. And if they find out he's God, it doesn't really matter to them. <laughs> whatever, you know, Krishna's God. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't care. What if he's not God? That doesn't matter. I don't care. I would just love him. That's 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 what Lord Chaitanya has come to teach: how to love Krishna in that way. But you have to love Krishna the other way before you can love Krishna that way. Otherwise, it will be artificial. It'll be artificial, <clears throat> and it won't be. It won't be. It won't mature. But the goal, just like we always say, you have to know what the goal is. But while you know what the goal is, you have to know where you're at. You know, okay, here's where we're going on the map. But where are you? Oh, I'm here. Okay, now you know where to go. You can't know where to go unless you know where you are. If you just look at the goal and don't know where you are, that doesn't help. Right? So this is the goal, to love Krishna. Not as God, but in one of the four rasas. But where am I now? Right now, I'm not in, I don't know what my rasa is, so I worship Krishna in on reverence. That is according to my qualification. And as I advance, then the hankering to worship Krishna in one of these four rasas will develop. But you know all this. Most of you know all this. Right? Okay. We're getting to read a lot. I have some program, I'm not exactly sure what it is, with devotees in Goa at 9.30. So I will have to end a few minutes before 9.30. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. I Sometimes... People ask me to give classes and I, or interviews and I don't pay attention to what we're going to talk about, usually because they're not going to ask me anything that would be difficult to answer. So we're having some discussion and I don't know what it's about, I can't tell you, and I don't know if it's open for everyone, although I could give you the, the info, the Zoom info. I mean, it might just be an interview that's, I don't know. I'm not going to give it to you. I don't. It might just be an interview that's going to be broadcast later. Something like that. Okay. So this is ten three fifty one. When Vasudev reached the house of Nanda Maharaj, Nanda Maharaj, he saw that all the coward men were fast asleep. Thus, he placed his own son on the bed of Jasoda, picked up her daughter, an expansion of Yogamaya, and then returned to his residence, the prison house of Kangsa. So, <clears throat> what's going on here? Well, he wants to put Krishna in a safe position, and he wants, you know, Jasoda doesn't know if she had a son or daughter, so he's he's like, okay, well, I'll take your daughter. You won't really know what happened, and then we'll fool Kongsa. So it was a good plan. I don't, you know, recommend, you know doing this, don't do this at home, go steal babies and put one baby and take another, but this is transcendental. Purport, Vasudev knew very well that as soon as the daughter was in the prison house of Kongsa, Kongsa would immediately kill her, but to protect his own child, he had to kill the child of his friend. Nanda Maharaj was his friend, but out of deep affection and attachment for his own son, he knowingly did this. So he was thinking, 
this child he's taking is going to be killed. But he was so attached to Krishna. It was like, I'm going to take my friend's, I'm going to take my friend's baby and they'll get killed. I can't, I can't stand that Krishna would be killed. Interesting, right? <clears throat> Let's read that again. That's interesting. I don't remember reading. How did we read this far? I don't remember reading that. Vasudev knew very well that as soon as the daughter was in the present house of Kamsa, Kamsa would immediately kill her because it's the eighth child and the prediction was the eighth child is going to kill you. But to protect his own child, he had to kill the child of his friend. Not he had to kill, but you know, indirectly he had to kill. Nanda Maharaj was his friend. But out of deep affection and attachment for his own son, he knowingly did this. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that one cannot be blamed for protecting one's own child at the sacrifice of another's. Furthermore, Vasudev cannot be accused of callousness since his actions were impelled by the force of Yogamaya. So that's, you know, you may be looking at this thing and thinking, hey, you can't do that, that's not right. And, um, you know, every parent will protect their their child first. But obviously, what's happening is this is um, under the influence of being arranged by Yoga Maya. So this is Krishna's desire. So Vasudev can't be faulted because ultimately he's doing exactly what Krishna wanted, and it all works out. Of course, she's not she's not killed. So now we're going to read. This is not sequential. It's just verses and purports relating to Yoga Maya. Um, I don't, the next, I don't have a reference for the next where it's from. But we'll read it. It's, it's maybe the next verse. Sukadeva Goswami continued, My dear King Purikshit, the doors inside and outside the house closed as before. In other words, he went out all the doors, by the influence of Yoga Maya, all the doors opened. All the guards were asleep. The jail cell opened. It was like, unbelievable. It's amazing. Everything opened up. Yeah, it was, it was truly unbelievable. But that was the power of Yoga Maya because this was supposed to happen. So all of a sudden, all the guards, fast asleep, you know, you couldn't wake them up. All of a sudden, the prison doors open. Sounds like a fairy tale, right? Yoga Maya's potency. So now, Vasudev goes. He brings the child. Takes Subhadra, comes back. Locks himself in prison. Puts the chain back on like he never left. The doors close. The guards wake up. Everything's fine. Nothing happened. That's why people read this and they think, oh, this is all mythology. This sounds like, yeah, the doors opened. It's like, you know, it's like a fairy tale. Anyway, Krishna's beyond fairy tales. He can he can have much more exciting fairy tales. Uh, purport. Hmm. Let's read it again. I don't think I read the second part. My dear King Prikshit, the doors inside and outside the house closed as before. Thereafter, the inhabitants of the house, especially the watchmen, heard the crying of the newborn child and thus awakened from their beds. 
Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has remarked that the watchmen were just like dogs. At night, the dogs in the street act like watchmen. If one dog barks, many other dogs immediately follow it by barking, although the other dogs don't know what they're barking about, right? Isn't that funny? Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen a riot before, but riots are like that. Somebody gets angry and everybody gets angry and it's like an hour later, hey, what are we angry about? I don't know, something, you know, the the society's, it's just messed up, you know. I'm just, we're just angry. We're angry. What are you angry? I don't know. We're just angry. We don't like, so it's like that with dogs. Um, this, you know, social psychology, you know, mass consciousness sometimes. One person thinks one way, then 10 people, then 100, and all of a sudden people are all thinking and don't even know why they're thinking like that. Or they're thinking like that because someone else is thinking like that, so it seems like that's the right way to think. <laughs> you know that story Prabhupada tells? What was his name? Sarpal Singh, I think his name was. It's such a funny story. Indian tradition is if if your relative or a great person dies, the men would shave their head. That was a sign of mourning or respect. I don't know why. So, you know, this this person named, this entity named Sarpal Singh had died. And so, you know, it was being, the, the news was going from person to person, so people are like shaving their head. Oh no, Sarpal Singh died. Shave my head. The next one. Sarpal Singh. So they're, everybody's seeing everybody else's mourning and shaving their head. And finally comes to the king. Sarpal Singh has died. The king said, who's Sarpal Singh? He asked his minister. The minister found out that was the name of a horse. A man's horse. Sarpal Singh. So it was just to show, you know, it was like, what's the word I'm looking for? This mass hysteria, mass ignorance. There's probably a word that I can't think of now, but you understand. You know, people are doing it without thinking. So, one dog barks, many dogs immediately follow it by barking. Although the street dogs are not appointed by anyone to act as watchmen, they think they are, they are responsible for protecting the neighborhood. And as soon as some someone unknown enters it, they all begin to bark. Both Yoga Maya and Mahamaya act in all material activities. Prakite Kriyamanani Gunai Karmani Sarvasha. But although the energy of the Supreme Personality of God it acts under the Supreme Lord's direction, Maya Dakshena Prakite Suyase Charum Bhagavad Gita nine ten dog like watchmen, such as politicians and diplomats, think they are protecting their neighborhoods from the dangers of the outside world. These are the actions of Maya. But one who surrenders to Krishna is relieved of the protection afforded by the dogs and dog-like guard, guardians of this material world. And Prabhupada's point is, you know, who can you protect? <clears throat> unless you're God, ultimately, who can you protect? So unless you give people the shelter of God, you can't really protect them. And so politicians who are not trying to establish rule based on Shastra and helping people become God-conscious. They can't really do much. Yeah, something.
But ultimately, who's protecting? Yeah, I mean, it's the duty of politicians to protect their citizens, but... Not, they can't perfectly protect. Mm. Okay, so now, 10.49. So what happened was, Kamsa got the news. The eighth child of Devaki has been born. So his strategy was, well, he heard that the eighth child of Devaki would kill him. Of course, that's an omen, whether it's true or not. Anyway, he was going with that omen. He took it as reliable. And his strategy was, well, before this child kills me, and assuming he's assuming it's a he, before this child kills me, I'll kill it, and I'll be safe. So he saw the child, picked up the child, took the child, and was intending to throw the child against a rock and kill it. Can you imagine? What kind of person would do that? And she, she slipped out of his hands and then manifested her form as Dorga. When I was young, we had a commercial and the, the line from the commercial was, sorry, Charlie. Now, I don't know if that's a, a common statement now in America or anywhere where they speak English, you know. Do you know, you know how to get to this place? Sorry, Charlie. You know, at least we used to say that when we were kids, you know, you know, commercials like to get in your brain. So it was kind of like the same thing, you know. He thinks it's, it, he's just going to kill this baby and the business is finished. And so she, she goes out of his grip and manifests Durga and says, sorry, Charlie. You got the wrong person here. And then she tells him, the person who's going to kill you is not here. He's somewhere else. So you're, you're still in trouble and you're not going to be able to kill me. So you have problems. So that's what's going on. So we read the verse. The child, Yogamaya Devi, the younger sister of Lord Vishnu, slipped upward from Kongsa's hands and appeared in the sky as Devi, the goddess Durga with eight arms, completely equipped with weapons. <laughs> or we could say, okay, Kangsa, you want to fight? I got eight weapons. You know, I'm ready. So in other words, Kamsa was like, oh, my God. Well, I don't know if he believed in God. Oh, my gosh. Hmm, I got myself in trouble here. Kamsa tried to dash the child downward against a piece of stone, but since she was Yogamaya, the younger sister of Lord Vishnu, she slipped upward and assumed the form of the goddess Torga. The word Anuja, meaning the younger sister, is significant. When Vishnu or Krishna took birth from Devaki, he must have simultaneously taken birth from Jasoda. Also, otherwise, how could Yogamaya have been Anuja? the younger sister. So, he was already there. She already, yeah. She came after. So, Prabhupada's saying, well, Krishna must have been in the womb from the beginning of Jasoda's pregnancy because she's Anuja, Subhadra's Anuja. She came after. So, 
Yeah, anyway. Krishna was already there, then she was there. So, the way the Acharyas explained was that when Vasudev put down Krishna, he actually just merged into to a Krishna, to the Krishna that Yasoda gave birth to that was already there. So he took birth first, and then her. Anyway, we're getting, we're getting some details. Oh, that's all I have. Party's over. Okay, I thought I had more. Oh, that's crazy. I was, um, I was getting notes from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. I wonder if that document got lost somehow or other. Was, I was studying. Um, so it's only the tenth. Well, anyway, so I lost. I thought we had much more. I didn't prepare this morning. I was reading about Bhakti Siddhanta. So now, if you have questions or comments, please ask, because we have time to answer them. Okay. Let's see. I'm going to go back, back, back. Okay, so Chris Day says, When I don't sleep enough, I cannot absorb what I am studying and forget what I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, it's actually described that intelligence doesn't function unless you get enough rest. <laughs> so then what's better, sleep less and have less focus or sleep just enough to get better study results? Yeah, you have to sleep enough. You can't, it's, the point, I, I at least I can tell you how I see it. When I I hear these stories of Bhakti Siddhanta, it's just like, okay, let's figure this out. How did he do this? Like, what's the science here? Oh, it's easy, Prabhu. You just have prema, and then you know, you don't have to sleep. Oh, okay, but but I don't have prema. All right. Well, the closer you get to prema, maybe. You won't need as much sleep. You'll you'll uh, be so inspired. So at least we understand theoretically that it's possible someone could live on so little sleep if they're very spiritually advanced. So that's one point. And of course, what you say is true. I I um I often don't sleep that much at night as much as I actually need, and I study in the morning. And um, the other morning, I read a paragraph three times, and I couldn't tell you what it said because I was so tired. <laughs> and that's when, when you read a paragraph three times and you still don't know what it means, that's a sign you need a nap. Definitely. That's the, if you, in case you don't know if you're tired or not. Well, after you read it over and over, and you couldn't... What did you just read, Prabhu? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. So it's true. We have to be awake. We can't. We can't artificially give up sleep. But um, we can take inspiration. You know, I think it's maybe. Maybe we want to get up a little earlier, and it's difficult. And when we read about Srila Bhakti Siddhanta sleeping on the floor for a few hours, and we think, well, well, maybe it's possible because 
I'm not trying to sleep an hour and a half on the floor every night. I'm just trying to get up like 10 minutes earlier. Maybe I could do that. So you take it like that. You know, It just gives you some inspiration. And then, obviously, if you don't sleep enough, there could be problems, especially when you're driving. You have to be careful. When you're working and being paid, they're not paying you to sleep on the job. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> One devotee told me, Kundamadava, your name is not like the name Krishna Govinda because your name is Vaikuntha, not a Goloka. Could you please tell me something about it? Yeah. The um, Mukunda Madhava. You know, see, the thing is that a devotee, a devotee sees Krishna according to his relationship with Krishna. So even if you had the name of a deity in Vaikuntha, but if you're a Krishna Bhakta in the mood of residence of Braj, you will think of Krishna in that form. So that's one point. And you know, like some people say, Shalagram Shila is Vishnu. But for a devotee, it's not like that. Because he sees Shalagram Shila differently. And another point is that at the time of initiation, you you part of the process, punch of samskaras to get a spiritual name. So we see that Prabhupada gave people names like Vaikuntha-nanda, Brahmananda. Like, what kind of name is that? The bliss of Brahman. <laughs> but did Prabhupada curse me? Well, you know, Krishna is supreme Brahman. Who is Krishna? He's Shamasundar. So for me, Brahmananda means Shamasundar. You see? So like that. So you have to change your name. But for a devotee, he'll see everything in relation to the Braj Krishna because that's who he worships. Indra Swami says, our only rasa now is servant of the spiritual master. Pretty much, yeah. And of course, that will always be our rasa. No matter what our other rasa is. Question number one. Wow, I have a series here. Okay. From Manish, this. What does Manish mean? Human like? He's kind of many. He's very Manishish. He's very human like. Manishish. Yeah, something like that. Is that what it means, Manish? Human? Humanish? <laughs> or the controller? Is it the controller of men? Manish? Maybe it's what it is, right? Manu. And Ishvara, maybe it means controller of men. Okay. Serving in a community and trying to achieve a goal. Sometimes you do not see eye to eye with everyone involved in the project. How can one remain focused on the goal? Serving Krishna selflessly and maintain Vaishnava etiquette. Well, if you're going to work in a community with other people, then the buzzword is going to be compromise. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but we have to go along with the decisions of the group, even if we disagree. That's what it means to work together. And sometimes my experience with groups is because groups are diverse personalities, 
sometimes it's hard for one vision to come through that group exactly as the way you conceptualize it because there's so many other perspectives and so it gets a little warped, jaded, compromised, massaged or something into something that's not exactly what you agree with, but because you're part of the group, you your service is to go along with it. You make your contrib- contribution and then just say, well, maybe this is the way Krishna wants it. And and then you might say, no, but I know it's not the way he wants it. Well, maybe he wants it this way because it's not right. And by doing it, everyone will see it's not right. And that may be the only way that everyone's going to see what is right. I mean, you don't know. But that's kind of, you know, the basic ABCs of working in a community is there'll have to be some give and take. Um, as far as maintaining etiquette, I think you mean not offending devotees who disagree with you. And um, basic idea is we shouldn't offend devotees for any reason, even if it's a valid reason. So if you just scratch offending devotees off your list, like for whatever the reason is, that's a good place to start, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Prabhu, but this is a good re- I have a really good reason to offend him. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> we just, we don't offend devotees. So, as far as Vaishnava etiquette, it's just, it's like, look at Vaishnava etiquette like virtue. Like we should be kind, we should be humble, we should be compassionate. We need to develop these qualities. That they enhance our bhakti. They're byproducts of bhakti, but until we develop them, they enhance our bhakti by practicing them. So look at Vaishnava etiquette as, you know, something may be wrong, but it doesn't justify that I transgress Vaishnava etiquette. Right? And so, you know, I was talking last night about excuses and sometimes we make excuses and we don't even know we're making them. We're rationalizing misbehavior and we don't even know we're doing that. So, you know, there's it would be foolish to rationalize acting against Vaishnava etiquette, wouldn't it? Well, you know, but in this situation, it doesn't work like that. You know, when when am I justified to not do what Krishna wants me? Never. Unless he tells me, do it differently. Or my spiritual master tells me to do it differently. Otherwise, we're not authorized to transgress Vaishnava behavior, no matter what happens. So that's a way of looking at it. And we have... More questions. How should one remain humble but not be a doormat? Just a yes man. Or is that okay? You made the point that sometimes agreeing to follow instructions even if you do not agree. <clears throat> Interestingly, statement about His Holiness Siddhanta Saraswati Thakurana. How can we be bold and serve? All right. That's a lot of questions. Hold on. How can we remain humble but not as a doormat? Oh, I just want to be a doormat of my Guru Maharaj. Guru Maharaj, walk on me. Give me the dust of your lotus feet. No. You know, I guess doormat has a negative connotation, but to be the doormat of a Vaishnava is kind of a positive thing. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta said, our aspiration is to become particle of dust at the feet of Rupa Goswami. 
Lord Brahma wanted to be a blade of grass, so the gopis would walk on him. So, you know, I understand what you're meaning. I'm just I'm just saying there is a place in Vaishnavism for doormats. <laughs> um, I think what you're referring to is that you don't want to be humble in, in, in a way that is detrimental to your bhakti. In other words, you're being, what, taken advantage of, let's say? Or in some way your bhakti is being damaged or minimized by you being humble and just saying yes to everything, you know? You know, you're staying out every night till midnight washing pots. You're not getting enough sleep. You're getting sick. You're the only one in the temple who's like willing to do anything and everything. So you're the one who always has to do anything and everything. And now you have no time to read because you're so busy. Yeah, like in that situation, you have to, you have to have some boundaries where you take care of yourself. So I, I wouldn't say it's not being humble. Let's just say. Some boundaries to protect yourself if you feel like the doormat, the doormat syndrome. What do you do if you're suffering from the doormat syndrome where people just push you around like a doormat? Then you may have some boundaries, but being a doormat is also a very exalted position as well. So you have to see if it's helping you or hurting you. And it may be hurting you only because you have the wrong attitude. And it may be hurting you because it's actually hurting you. It's actually minimizing your ability to do bhakti properly. So I think that's what you meant. Um, you are just a yes man. Yes, you're right, I am. Um, in you know, being a yes man, if, <laughs> if if you get perfect, if you're getting perfect instruction, why wouldn't you want to be a yes man? Okay, if you're being taken advantage of and exploited, yeah, then then you have to protect yourself. I think that's if that's what you're saying. If I'm just humble and yes, I'll get exploited. Hopefully, you wouldn't get exploited in our movement. But let's say you were just, you know, like I said, nobody's willing to work as hard as you, and you're getting all the service and it's overwhelming, yeah, then you need maybe to say no sometimes. Saying no to one thing is saying yes to another. So by saying no to this, maybe I'm saying yes to study Bhagavatam. So yeah, there's some balance there. Bhakti Siddhanta. Mm. Uh, Sometimes you follow instructions you don't agree with just to maintain the peace rather than, you know, create havoc in the universe. It rather create havoc in your community. Oh, it's 9.22. I'm going to have to go in three minutes. How can we be bold and serve? How could you not be bold? You mean, you think bold means not being humble? Humble is an attitude. Bold is an action. So you can be bold and proud, you can be bold and humble. So just, you know, whenever we say, how can I do this and be humble, always understand humility is an attitude. So you can do so many things. I hope that makes sense. Should we be worried about how we may offend people in our acts of duty or service, engagement with devotees? Well, definitely, 
we don't want to defend devotees. And if <clears throat> we should be conscious, yes, obviously, if if I offend people, they won't become interested in Krishna consciousness. But sometimes in preaching, one we will inadvertently offend people because we just have to say, there's God. Well, I don't believe there's God, and I don't like you because you believe in God. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, I can't. I can't change that reality that there is God and I can't I can't give a lecture and say that there isn't God and if it upsets you you know I, I apologize but this is I'm representing the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and that's what it says and that's my duty and if you don't like it or accept it that's fine you have your free will so sometimes you can't be avoided and uh, can you help with any practical tips you can give to sense check both moods? I'm not sure what you mean. But maybe I answered that question already. Um, Manish, you can Facebook me if you want, if I didn't answer everything. That'll be easier than me emailing you because I'm not sure exactly what more you want to know. Yeah. It's a mob mentality. Maybe the term you're looking for. Groupthink is another way. Yeah, Maybe it's groupthink. Mob mentality, yeah, groupthink. Herd mentality, yeah. There's a Chinese saying, you know, one dog barks and all the dogs bark, but I don't know if it's Chinese, and all the dogs that are barking have no idea why they're barking. They're just barking because the first dog is barking. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, he's great. He's Yeah, he's great. And everyone's like, why is he great? Because he is. Okay, he's great. And I'm like, nobody knows. <laughs> uh we have a new document with quotes from Shikshanrita. Uh, so um, <laughs> send it back to me. Maybe I lost it. Send me the doc you have. It goes further than the. Yeah, if it goes further than what I read today, this is all I have. <laughs> if you read a paragraph three times and you still don't know what it means, it may mean you're a mathematician. Math papers are very dense, difficult to understand on the first read. Yeah, I used to study geometry like over and over again. Um, oh, I have to leave. Can you save your questions for... Oh, we have one more question. Okay. In this life, we serve Radha, Krishna, Lakshmi, and Ryan mood according to conception of It's possible. Slide to develop more deep level. Yes. Vatsala, Baba, Murda, yes. You should want to. It's called Raganuga Bhakti. It's the same to think humble and tolerant, yes. Or apply the same. Yeah. Humility comes with tolerance, tolerance comes with humility. I must leave you all um, and join. My next, what's my next Zoom conference for the devotees in Goa? So I'm going to go to Goa now. If that's okay. Um, I just got a video. It said that one of the ways you cure COVID is to stay in the obeisances position on your knees, not flat, and stay in your obeisances position for like 10 hours a day. 
And he gets the phlegm out of the lungs. Interesting, right? Just thought I'd share that. <clears throat> okay, I'm, uh, as we say in America, I'm out of here. I'm out of here and I'm zooming into Goa. Hare Krishna to all of you. <clears throat>